My name is Michael Kammer. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. I literally don't listen to I Doubt It with Dolomore, but my roommate is making me do this. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, welcome to episode 191 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as I am every time, Jesse Dollamore, sitting across from me, eager for this episode, eager to talk about what may be the beginning of the political apocalypse because of the Iowa caucus and the Republican Party, Brittany Page. Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm so excited for tomorrow. I can't even tell you. It's actually today for the listeners. Oh, today. (laughs) Yes, I forgot how things work. Episode 191. One. 91. Rapidly approaching 200. Mm-hmm. Big days. Mm-hmm. Big deals. Yes. Good times. I guess. Speaking of good times. Great segue. Last weekend. There's been so much going on we didn't get to this. But last weekend, in order, in a manner to celebrate, I guess, Brittany's going back to grad school. School is starting again. It has started. Mm-hmm. Brittany and I decided to go out and have a glass of wine, and we chose this place that's kind of one of those hipstery joints. It's like in a complex of all these different stores that are all indie and there's lots real of succulents. Cool. Yeah, there that has nothing to do with this <laughs> whatsoever. Well, there are lots of succulents there. Brittany is in love with succulent plants. <laughs> Goddamn. Anyway, it's one of these places where like there's lots of skulls and crossbones, and everybody's real cool and. Where are there a lot of skulls and crossbones there? I don't want to name the store because everyone will know where we went. Tr- trust me, there's skulls. They're everywhere. Okay. It's just a too cool kind of place. I just want to okay. get that across. All right. Too cool. Yeah. There's no franchises here. It is... Too cool for yeah, school. All real... Yeah, look at us. We're indie. Man. Ah, okay. I sound like a dick. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, you do. So we go into this place. And I really, this is kind of a manner to make fun of Brittany a little bit. Okay. Because we we sat down to get our wine. Mm-hmm. And Brittany almost immediately turns to me with an angry, bitter face. And she says, did you just fart? <laughs> and I say, no, absolutely not. She, I guess, apparently took me at my word. No, and, and I don't think I don't know. I didn't take you at your word. And I was still suspicious that lies were a happening. A few minutes later, maybe two minutes, the poop smell came back. And she turns to me and says, Are you sure you didn't fart? It was and stinky. And I said, Listen, I know what kind of traffic there is around my butthole. <laughs> Some people I know don't. when things are, are, are leaving. And I certainly think I would know when things are coming in. So I was, <laughs> quite, never know. I was quite positive that uh, I had not farted. Mm-hmm. No, farted. Farted. So at some point, 
this was it was the whole thing was kind of a fiasco and i won't even get into that because i'll just sound like a grouchy old man well i thought you were lying so i was convinced that you were lying to me because or someone Why else would I lie? or someone like i was sniffing my hair and making eye contact with everyone <laughs> at the bar like i know someone is doing this and can you see me because i know that you're doing so it. so what happened is they ended up the people at the bar ended up like consolidating space at the bar like fucking musical chairs. Could you guys move down and could you move we need to anyway. Jesse so easily inconvenienced uh, <laughs> by making other people comfortable and have uh, room for them. Well, when you put it like that, it does make me sound like an asshole, but I did what they requested. I you know, uh-huh. unbegrudgingly. Mm, uh-huh. I was silently angry, but I kept it to myself. Anyway, unbegrudgingly. As soon as they they had made space for these this group of women who had brought in their own hipster food and when they cracked open the cases of their tupperware it became readily clear where the fart smell was coming it was their food it was their broccoli cauliflower veganif veganrific just amalgam of stinky ass bullshit. And you'd think that I'd be able to recognize the food, but no. here's the thing. I was in a wine bar. It was also, so listen. What's most probable in a wine bar? <laughs> is it the poop or is it the broccoli and cauliflower? Well, right. I'm going to go with the former because who thought that someone would be bringing in their own <laughs> cauliflower to eat at the bar? It was weird. It was not a good choice. It's like cooking fish in your company microwave and ma- making everyone smell uh, that's not the same. It is abs. That's I know. not the same at all. You say that because you're one of those offenders. I am, and if you don't like the smell of fish, grow up. We're not ten years old anymore. Well, if you don't it's like delicious, the, if you don't like the smell of poop cauliflower, <laughs> you need to fucking grow up. Well, once I figured out it was cauliflower, I didn't have a problem anymore. <laughs> it well, was the whole poop p- poop did, particles. Did uh, did your humble host? Did Jesse Dollimore? Did he get an apology from Brittany Page about the wild, scurrilous <laughs> accusations? No. Did he? No. Of course he didn't. No. You went on your merry way, continuing the 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 record of accusation against I me. still think that you probably had something to do with it. <laughs> I'm still not convinced. So I guess, listen, this is a lesson to all of you out there. One, you don't have to bring your your stinky snacks into an already food and drink related establishment. You just don't have to. Stop it. If you're listening, ladies, quit doing it. They're not. You're not too cool. They're not listening. Ah, uh, bothered. Anyway, that happened. <laughs> It did happen, and it wasn't that big of a deal, but I feel like it affected you a lot more than it did me. It did. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for for caring. For recognizing that. You're welcome. Right. All right, let's get on with this. I'm I'm already discombobulated. This is probably not going to go well. Okay. (laughs) Bringing back up the trauma. Right. All right, let's get to some follow-up before this goes off the fucking rails. We've covered at... At Nikki's behest, our Northern European loyal Patreon supporter and listener, we have we have talked about this this incident that happened over New Year's Eve, where thousands of sexual assaults took place in Cologne, Germany. Well, it appears as though German Chancellor Angela Merkel 
isn't out of the woods where it relates to public opinion about this. She may have been Time's person of 2015, but back home, Angela Merkel is no Miss Popular. In fact, 40% of Germans would like her to resign, a new poll revealed. Why? Because of her welcoming stance for refugees. Last year, Germany took in a record 1.1 million migrants, but recent crime sprees, including Cologne's multiple sexual attacks on women on New Year's, in which the attackers were described as being mostly from the North African Arab region, has turned sentiment. Battling opposition to her migration policies, Chancellor Merkel is now tightening the asylum rules and those from Morocco, Algeria and Tunisia are first to be affected, with Berlin declaring those countries as safe and denying any new asylum seekers. But when it comes to the response to refugees, Germany is not the only country in the grip of a conservative wave. To help cover the expenses, Denmark is to seize cash and valuables from asylum seekers if they have declared assets worth more than $1,400. Sweden is likely to reject half of the 160,000 asylum applications it has received so far, while Finland is looking to deport up to two-thirds of the 32,000 people it's currently hosting. Their moves have been blasted by charities like Amnesty International, who deemed them fundamentally flawed and illegal. The EU's policy on the migrant and refugee crisis is a massive source of discord between countries, and with the UN recently warning that another million migrants will reach European shores this year, the issue is likely to remain at the centre of European politics. So... There was a lot of good information there. I'd like to thank MSNBC for that. And I say that because I don't want people to think that's some conservative news outlet. That is coming from, as far as American outlets go, mainstream outlets. I don't mean like the Young Turks and these YouTube news <laughs> I could have done, organizations. I could have done without the intense music yeah, in the background that right, was right. making me extremely anxious. It's like deal or no deal over here. As if the news isn't terrifying enough already with just disappointments <laughs> continuously. You're right. playing that music that makes me think the world is ending. Please right. stop. So, I mean, this is kind of a new and different take that we're hearing here in America that as far as what we hear from the Democrats running for president and even the Republicans running for president, that it's all sweetness and lights over in Europe for the refugee population. And apparently the tide is turning. The, the, when 40% of people, not only just, it's not even that they just disagree with her policy, they want her to resign. That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So she's in hot water and we'll continue to follow this, but, uh, you know, you can't really blame some of these countries for their their stance on this. I mean, it's an arguable, discussable point. And then there's the part where they talk about Sweden and how yeah. they are going to be expelling many of the refugees that they accepted and rejecting applications of refugees that are applying. Yeah. And, I mean, they received 160,000 applications last year. And between 60,000 and 80,000 of them will be rejected. Hmm. That wow. is a lot. Yeah, no kidding. It's a lot. The other number that I thought was interesting was the in Finland, they're going to be seizing the assets. If you declare that you you have assets that total more than 1400 bucks, they're going to seize that from you. And th that sounds harsh. Like, oh, why are they taking these people's money? 
But these refugees, it's not like they go into some corporate job and all of a sudden start contributing to society. This is These people are going to be on welfare. They're going to be taken care of by the state. And I, I don't, I'm, again, it's one of those points that can be discussed. It's not outright terrible and it's not outright correct. But I would lean on the side of, yeah, you know, you got to, we're going to be helping you out. You got to help us help you kind of a deal, you know? And then apart from this, well, I tell you what, what do you think about this audience? 657-464-7609. As always, you can leave a voice memo. You can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We do have a listener voicemail. However, I want to cover it after we get into Dollamocracy because I don't want to bifurcate to split up, to perforate, if you will, Brittany Page, the the, the democracy segment. That's a good idea. So it will it will follow these messages, quote unquote, commercial messages. Support for I doubt it with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. Four debates. Four debates this month. Four debates. And also there's another town hall this week, which we may or may not be covering. As a Patreon item. Yes. Yeah, we may or may not. It really does depend on... The quality. It depends on the quality and also depends on our time and how much we are able and willing, I guess, to dedicate to doing the the bonus episodes. We want, we listen, we are going to be providing a lot more uh, bonus content this year, not just a part of the debates, but we are really trying to put our heads together to come up with ideas um, because we want to provide value to you, our Patreon listeners. And uh, if you have any ideas, let us know. On some housekeeping fronts relative to the Patreon folks, if you have not received your stickers, goddamn, let us know. Get us on Twitter. Get us on the Facebook page, email, whatever, 657-464-7609, whatever method, let us know because I want to get those out to you. We've we've had issues. I don't know if it's the United States Postal Service or what. Well, but I think there was one batch that we sent out of several. That must have been it. Because... It seems like the patrons that we've heard from were all around a certain time. Yeah. And I think we sent out just one large batch that didn't apparently get where right. it needed to be. So let us know. We definitely want to remedy that and send some more out. And also, if you have some, let us know where they ended up. We appreciate the seeing where they are. <laughs> all right. Let's move on. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right, so the debate did happen, and typically we don't talk about the debate because it's covered extensively in the Patreon-only episode. However, we got a voicemail about the specific happenings in the debate, and I want to share that with you, and here it is. Hey guys, Dan from Oceanside. 
just listening to the debate recap episode uh, and kind of taken aback by Ted Cruz's use of raw numbers when he's talking about the military, talking about how uh, Obama, you know, is, is there. We have 4,000 planes in the Air Force now. We had 8,000 at the time uh, during Gulf War One, and it's showing us, you know, using that as an example of why, how the military is falling apart when he doesn't understand that, or he certainly, I'm sure he understands that he just doesn't present that during Gulf War One, we were flying A6s, A4s, F-111s, uh, even retrofitted F-4 Phantoms. Like, these are planes designed in the mid-60s under LBJ. Uh, and even, even the, you know, our F-14, F-16, F-15 at the time, those are all programs run through Northrop and, and General Dynamics and everything in, in, like, 1975. So, this idea that our, that having half as many planes doesn't mean we're not, you know, getting the bang for our buck or that we're, we're underpowered. Like, a single F-22 is worth what a dozen or more of that era's F-15s are worth. Can't be seen on radar, can fire multiple targets at one time, fire and forget capabilities, super crews. Like, it, these are all things that we couldn't even have dreamed of having in 1991. So the idea that somehow the military is bankrupt or something, like, we have more capability than we've ever had. We have more capability to destroy things, to get around the world faster. It's it's ridiculous that he thinks that the, the military is somehow underfunded right now. Uh, anyways, guys, uh, just I'm the, I'm the grandson of a, a flight engineer who was career Air Force, so that, that topic in particular gets me fired up. Uh, love the show. Love the debate recaps. Talk to you later. And Brittany's the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. <laughs> well, what the caller... He said what I didn't say. He, he said far more articulately something that I kind of said. <laughs> In a roundabout way. Right. So here is a short excerpt from the debate episode where we talked about this very thing. And the clip we're getting ready to play from the episode includes the question and Ted Cruz's response. When we come out of the clip, because it ends with my running my mouth. I'll let you know, hey, the clip's over. Otherwise, <laughs> it'll sound like me responding to just the clip. Yes. Dear <laughs> Senator Cruz, you talk tough about fighting terrorism. You talk about carpet bombing into oblivion. oblivion. You talk about seeing if the sand will glow at night. But critics say that your record does not match up to that. You opposed giving President Obama authority to enforce his red line in Syria. Three years in a row now, you have voted against the Defense Authorization Act. How do you square your rhetoric with your record, sir? Well, Chris, I will apologize to nobody for the vigorousness with which I will fight terrorism, go after ISIS, hunt them down wherever they are, and utterly and completely destroy ISIS. Lemmings in the audience who just applaud because it's, oh, kick ISIS ass. When they, he's not answering the question. The question is, how do you square your rhetoric against your record? Voting three times against a defense authorization bill, which is an appropriations bill, which appropriates money to run the, 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 the military, which, d agree or disagree, that is something he claims to agree with. He wants to rebuild our decimated military. 
But part of rebuilding it would be funding it properly, according to him. And he's not voting for that. It's complete horseshit. And instead of answering the question, he goes on this run about utterly destroying ISIS. Because he knows that resonates with this, you know, cult members in the audience. You know, you claim it is tough talk to discuss carpet bombing. It is not tough talk. It is a different fundamental military strategy than what we've seen from Barack Obama. Barack Obama right now, number one over seven years, has dramatically degraded our military. You know, just two weeks ago was the 25th anniversary of the first Persian Gulf War. When that war began, we had 8,000 planes. Today we have about 4,000. When that war began, we had 529 ships. Today we have 272. You want to know what carpet bombing is? It's what we did in the first Persian Gulf War. 1,100 air attacks a day. Saturation bombing that utterly destroyed the enemy. Right now, Barack Obama is launching between 15 and 30 air attacks a day. He's not arming the Kurds. We need to define the enemy. We need to rebuild the military to defeat the enemy. And we need to be focused and lift the rules of engagement so we're not sending our fighting men and women into combat with their arms tied behind their back. Let me tell you something, Ted Cruz. One point is I don't think we've done carpet bombing since probably World War II or Korea. We may have done it intermittently in Vietnam. But even if we did it in Vietnam, it is that's a long time ago that we employed that kind of a ridiculous military strategy. Just should we define carpet bombing just so people know? Yeah, because he's wrong. He's fucking wrong about what carpet bombing is. So carpet bombing, also known as saturation bombing, is a large aerial bombing done in a progressive manner to inflict damage in every part of a selected area of land. Right. It's, it is when you see like World War II documentaries where it's hundreds, if not thousands of bombs being dropped from the air, just leveling a select piece of land, that is what it is. It is utter devastation. High collateral damage because it's not precision bombing. He talks about the fact that we had, uh, during the first Gulf War, 1991, ladies and gentlemen, 1991, we had 8,000 planes, now we have 4,000 or something. We had 529 ships, now we have 272. You you know what else we have now that we didn't have in 1991? The goddamn internet. Wide open GPS use. All kinds of radical, precision, immediate communicative type of technologies we have now that we did not have in 1991. So we have a smarter military. We don't need the kind of military that we had in World War II or even in Vietnam. We have a smarter, sharper, more precise, more effective military. 
So both Cruz and Rubio made this claim that the military is being degraded. And AP did a fact check on this. They say the charge that President Barack Obama has starved the Pentagon has become a refrain in the GOP primary campaign. But amounts spent on weapons modernization are about the same as they were when Republican George W. Bush was president. Any military cuts GOP contenders are complaining about were approved by both Republicans and Democrats in Congress. The military budget is being squeezed by the insistence of lawmakers in both parties that money be spent on bases and equipment that the Pentagon says it doesn't need. That is exactly right. So don't use the military and especially the veterans, Republicans, as a political football. Because I can tell you from experience, we are not that dim-witted. So he also said we used carpet bombing in the first Persian Gulf War. Which we did not. And AP says that is kind of missing the mark a little bit. So they say the U.S. conducted an an intensive air war against the Saddam Hussein government in the 1991 war, but to call it carpet bombing misses one of the most important characteristics of that air campaign. It marked the first large-scale use of precision-guided missiles and bombs in the history of warfare. Right. Well, what they're saying there is that dropping many, many, many bombs doesn't mean, from aerial positions, doesn't mean that that is carpet bombing. It's precision weaponry. Right. They're also saying that it was the first war that saw the combat use of the F-117 stealth fighter. um, Yeah, that's when they rolled it out. And it was like, oh, shit, what is this spaceship? Yeah, it's the secret thing we we had. Right. So yeah, so it's like what you're saying that they started using these more precise weapons. Right. That's right. And we we did not despite the AP's categorization, we did not do carpet bombing. We did not do saturation bombing. Just because you do hundreds if not thousands of sortie missions doesn't mean that that is carpet bombing. It's just not. So get your shit together, Ted Cruz. End of clip. Goddamn. That guy sounds real, real handsome and real smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very. So, Dan, the caller Dan, thank you very much because all Dan did was just bolster my point. <laughs> Agree with me using an entirely different fact set, a different set of data that also is is backing up the fact that Ted Cruz is clearly not a military strategist or or just a fucking liar. I mean, Dan alluded to the fact that maybe he does know and he's just trying to be disingenuous. Or he's just speaking what he needs to in order to appeal to right. the audience right. and the voters that he wants. And that, you know, is a little bit of a commercial also for the Patreon bonus episodes. They're real, real good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, that's not the only thing that happened during the Republican debate, though. Ted Cruz, in very classic Ted Cruz, whiny, nitpicking the rules kind of a way, had a dust-up with Chris Wallace, son of legendary journalist Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes, had a dust-up with him about the rules and about whether he was going to be able to respond to a question. One moment that had Twitter going all crazy when Ted Cruz tried to take on the moderators. Remember, the audience went kind of wild when he slammed the CNBC moderators back in October. Last night, not so much. 
Chris, I would note that the last four questions have been Rand, please attack Ted. Marco, please attack Ted. Chris, please attack Ted. Jeb, please attack Ted. Let me just say this. It is a debate, sir. Uh, well, no, no, a debate actually is a policy issue, but I will say this, gosh, if, if you guys say, ask one more mean question, I may have to leave the stage. Uh -huh. This is a debate, sir. That was Fox News Sunday host Chris Wallace, and he's live with us now from Des Moines. You're so mean. <laughs> well, you know, and he said it wasn't about policy. All we were talking about then was exactly that, foreign policy, uh, Cruz's votes uh, not to give the president authority to... Uh, to enforce the red line in Syria, his votes three years in a, a row against the Defense Authorization Act, against uh, the uh, collection of national security intelligence, the phone data collection. I mean, we weren't asking about the color of his tie, so I, I don't know what he was talking about when he said these weren't policy questions, and it was a debate. Well, obviously, part of that is to get them to express their contrasting positions on these various issues. Who did great? I don't know that anybody did great. I think some people did well. I think by all standards, and I know Carl just mentioned it, I think Jeb Bush had his most energized debate. You have to wonder, is that because he's gotten better or is that because his nemesis, Donald Trump, wasn't there? Uh, I thought Marco Rubio, he always does well. He continued to do well and to make a case. Uh, I thought Chris Christie did well. Not, not a good night. I agree with the Des Moines Register. Not a particularly good night for, for Cruz, not just because of the back and forth with me, but, uh, you know, it's a different dynamic when you're in that center podium. You are the front runner, and with Trump gone, he was the front runner. He necessarily was going to take a lot of hits from all the other candidates. He it was the, the lead guy in the room. Uh, and, and, and he did take a lot of hits, and I thought that uh, suffered more hits than... Uh, uh, that then striking back at people. So I don't think it was a particularly good night for him in terms of trying to capitalize on his position as the big guy in the room. A lot of talk about Marco Rubio. Yeah, look, he's good at this. And he, you know, does this run where he just seems to speak not in sentences, but in paragraphs. He has his facts together. On the other hand, I, I thought that, that he and uh, Cruz both got roughed up on the question of their switches on immigration policy. You know, they both have switched on immigration policy. There's no question about it. Uh, they've said, uh, for, you know, they're either for uh, legalization or they're not. They're for citizenship or they're not. And, you know, I thought Chris Christie had one of his best moments of the night when he said, you know, maybe I need a, 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 uh, an English to Washington dictionary translator so I can find out what all this stuff means. And, you know, just that idea of this is inside Senate speak. Uh, and it's not what affects people, real voters in the real world, it was a pretty effective moment for him. Incidentally, Chris, news round two with Ted Cruz on Sunday. Yep, yep, I look forward to that on your show. I absolutely disagree with that last point by Chris Wallace, that when Chris Christie shits on what they do in the Senate, that it doesn't affect day-to-day -day voters. It sure as hell does affect day-to-day -day voters when something does or does not get passed in the Senate based on parliamentary procedure. That is age old and stodgy and, you know, deals with Robert's rules of order and all of the, the pomp and circumstance and technical issues that go into the running of the Senate. I disagree. I think Chris Christie may be doing a good job of convincing people that it's not important or that, oh, these guys are just debating. I'm a governor. I get you done. Well, 
without your legislature, governor, you have you can't do anything because they pass the laws that you sign. You're an integral part of the system of government. Don't be a dickhole. As hard <laughs> as it may be, Chris Christie, mm-hmm. don't be a dickhole. It's tough stuff. So the other part of this entire debate fiasco we've covered... Uh, my, it wasn't a prediction, like I said, but I said I wouldn't be surprised if if Donald Trump did the old switcheroo and yoink, surprise, I'm here. He didn't do that. And it didn't seem to hurt. I mean, it the ratings were down, but it's a progression that over time the ratings are just, they're dipping. Um, but it didn't seem to hurt the ratings that bad that he wasn't there. Fox's Trumpless debate had 12.5 million viewers between 9 and 11 p.m. By comparison, two of the cable channels that showed parts of Trump's fundraising event, CNN and MSNBC, shame on you, had about 2.7 million viewers combined. Right. So a quarter. A plethora of smaller outlets also televised and streamed Trump, but no further viewership data is available. Practically speaking, there is no way Trump's event could have outrated the debate. But rating experts said that Trump did appear to take a chunk out of Fox's audience. Fox averaged a record-smashing 25 million viewers last August during the first Trump field debate when he had his little spat with Megyn Kelly the first time. No one expected Fox to surpass the 25 million mark this time. And they didn't. Like I said, it's been a downward trend ever since that 25 million mark. And this wasn't the lowest rated debate. This is the second lowest right. rated debate. Yeah. And it, like I said, it's since August, it's only been downhill. And it, it's, not, it's probably going to continue on that way until something happens in the news that people are interested in or until the general election debates happen. And then they're going to spike back up because then there's, you know, a, a an enriched sense of interest because it's the final deal. It's the general election. So all kinds of stuff, his event that he did, but all kinds of stuff has been going on in the past few days. The event that he did related in opposition to the Republican debate was ostensibly it was to fundraise for wounded warriors and the veterans because you know you know Donald Trump he's the most militaristic person ever it's tremendous yeah he, he's a tremendous a tremendous protestant presbyterian militaristic although you know he he likes his soldiers that are not captured so the claim was <laughs> the claim was on this website that you would donate money and it would go to veterans but at the bottom there was a little note that said the Donald J Trump Foundation is a nonprofit organization and that's where the money is going right so it's going to the Donald J Trump Foundation it's not going to a specific a specific veterans organization well, when questioned, one of his main surrogates, one of his main spokespeople, the woman who on previous episodes we talked about called herself a half-breed. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You cannot make this stuff up. Mm-hmm. She was on, and when pressed to, to answer and give one, even one veterans organization that would benefit, she couldn't name a single one. Let me ask you this, because 
this is an open question still, and, and CNN's reached out to the Trump mm -hmm. campaign to get an answer to this very simple question. Which veterans groups are taking part tonight, and which veteran groups have agreed to accept money raised at this event tonight? Well, you know, Jim, there is a website up now, and the money that's going to be raised will be in bulk, and the disbursements will be spread all across to veterans organizations and those who don't want to receive the money, we'll make sure not to send them a check. But I will say, I do find it interesting but, but that, clear, just, that just there's on a that, lot of pressure in the media. The, the money's going to a Trump Go organization now. Name one veterans organization that has agreed to accept that money. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. The money <laughs> right now what? is going to a Trump organization, which you then say will be dis dispersed. Can you right. name one organization, veterans organization, that's going to participate tonight and accept some of the funds raised tonight? Well, I believe there might be a list now on the website. There are a lot of organizations that are in queue to, to sign up for this. There are veterans that will be attending tonight and will be um, doing some of the program as well. But I was going to say, with regard to veterans... No, 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 no. You're not going to... Then she goes on mm -hmm. and filibusters having not answered the question. Like liars tend to do. Right. So she she pivots to, oh, well, there's going to be veterans there. Well, fuck, you throw a stone at any event and there's going to be a veteran there. It's <laughs> goddamn. You're, oh, wow, there's a veteran there? It must be legitimate. Well, no, she's saying <laughs> that the veterans get to enjoy the company of Donald Trump. Right. So what does it really matter? Right. Well, listen, they're going to have a fun night with Trump. Listen, Brittany. 50% of the people in this very room are veterans. That that says a lot about how many veterans there are in rooms. Yes. <laughs> so that is ridiculous. And he did. They ended up, they gave a check today. I don't know how much, five or six million dollars. This billionaire, billionaire, he's worth, you know, anywhere from 4,000 million to nine to ten thousand million dollars. He's a he's wildly wealthy, and he's raising money from contributions. And the amount they came up with was six million or something. Mm -hmm. It's it's not an astounding or as Trump would put it, a tremendous. It's just not right. It's helpful, I'm sure, but it depends on what organization got it and whether they're credible or not. The other thing, though, and this goes to the army of Trump supporters, these lackeys, these shills of Donald Trump, who, to, to me, and you know, it's hard for me to imagine any other way than that th these people are just on the payroll. They are just agreeing with any crazy ass thing that he does. Because in this next clip, much like the previous one, there's a guy on CNN who is a Trump supporter. His name is Jeffrey Lord. Apparently, he used to work for Ronald Reagan in some relatively decent capacity. And he is talking about, in this clip, the fact that Trump retweeted a tweet where Megyn Kelly is called a bimbo solely for the reason that she posed for pictures in a GQ magazine spread an article about her and, you know, they were they're sexy pictures. There's no other way to put it. They, they're they not risque, but they're sexy pictures. She's a good-looking lady. 
And well, this is basically how the women on Fox are dressed anytime you turn Fox News Channel on. Not normally Megyn Kelly, though. She's not one of the. Well, I mean, she has cleavage. I'm explaining what the picture is. She has cleavage. Oh, yeah, yeah. She has cleavage showing and a short dress on, so her legs are yeah. prominent. Right, right. And when you turn on Fox News, that's how they want their women to look: is the legs. Yeah, it is a lot and of the that. cleavage right. out. Right. But she is like pulling her strap down in one of them, and and so it's a little, you know. More boobalicious, I guess. More, more uh, provocative. Yes. It's, it's, they're sexy pictures. Yes. So Donald Trump retweeted a tweet of someone saying, and this is the bimbo that's asking presidential questions. Right. And it, it, it came with a meme that said, criticizes Trump for objectifying women, poses like this in GQ magazine. And the, the natural question that comes up, and then we'll get to the clip, is, Melania, his wife, who is a public person, she is open to criticism. She is open to analysis. She has posed nude. She mm-hmm. has topless photos. Go Google Melania Trump. Mm-hmm. And they're not, it's not the, the, the fappening. These aren't photos that were stolen from her iPhone. She voluntarily posed. And I'm not even judging that like it's bad. The problem is, is who the fuck is Trump? To impugn the integrity, the journalistic integrity or the intelligence, because with bimbo, doesn't that come kind of vapid? There are connotations that 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 are right along with the word bimbo. And who is he to impugn her intelligence because is- she posed for photos when his wife, his third wife, has posed nude? Third wife. So this- uh, did I say first? No. I'm just putting emphasis on third wife because, again, he's criticizing. (laughs) Okay, so Urban Dictionary says bimbo is a girl who is stupid, wears lots of makeup, and is obsessed with boys and clothes. That's Urban Dictionary. I think we can do better than that. Um, I think that the people that are tweeting to Trump about these things are using words from Urban Dictionary. (laughs) That is, I'm just going to the source of how I believe they would define it. Right, right, right. So anyway, let's let's get to this clip. This is Jeffrey Lord, who is in this wildly just I can't even it makes my fucking head hurt. He is he is justifying this this retweet as presidential behavior. It, you know, it, uh, Jeff, I got to ask you because John mentioned Megyn Kelly. I want to show you a tweet about Megyn Kelly that Donald Trump retweeted early this morning. It says, "quote." And this is the bimbo that's asking presidential questions. And underneath it says, quote, criticizing Trump for objectifying women poses like this in GQ magazine with, I guess, a photo of Megyn Kelly posing in GQ magazine. I mean, is that really presidential behavior to be retweeting this kind of language and pictures? Anderson, here's what I think we're missing with this. Well, no, but just answer that question. Is that presidential behavior? Yeah. In the 21st century that we're headed to with Twitter, there may be other presidents who start doing this. We we'll use the term bimbo. Well, and but that I mean, this, get, wait, this gets to political it's correctness and all this. Re- the easy but, answer, wait, 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 no. You're saying that gets to political correctness. There's political correctness, and then there's just like, there's presidential behavior and there's human decency. Right, right, right. Well, Bill Clinton wasn't terribly into presidential behavior either. I mean, we've had lots of presidents. Wait, wait. Is Bill Clinton running for president? I think the audience knows. You know well what I think about Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. but he's not in this fucking conversation. This isn't about Bill Clinton. This is about Donald Trump and whether he's presidential. Just, beca- just because we've had scumbags 
and people who are less than desirable relative to their behavior and treatment of women in the presidency in the past doesn't mean that it's it's carte blanche. It's, oh, well, there we've had assholes, so it's okay to be an asshole. That's not how it works. It's not in the presidential behavior. My, my point to you is that what Donald Trump has done is, is reinvent presidential and political convention here. He is, as a, as a fellow colleague, uh, CNN colleague said in a column, and Rush Limbaugh compared him to Steve Jobs, to Amazon, to Uber, <laughs> etc. This is not your father's presidential campaign. Right. This is a totally different way of approaching American politics, approaching convention. The political correctness thing is we're done with that. So whatever comes out, comes out. It does just, I mean, to me, that retweet just validates the questions Megyn Kelly was asking. For a guy whose wife is a former supermodel, who I think posed on the cover of GQ in a very provocative pose and may be the first lady of the United States, should he be throwing around the term bimbo regarding another are you woman? Saying, who are you saying Mrs. Trump is a bimbo? No, no. I'm, I'm not. Are you fucking kidding me? Jeffrey Lord has the temerity to pose that question to Anderson Cooper. Oh, are you saying that Mrs. Trump is a bimbo? What no, is, we're talking about Donald Trump calling other women bimbos, you fucking jerk off. Right, well, that's just the perfect tactic for him to use, though, when he has nowhere else to go. The only other thing he can do in that situation is try to spin the argument yes. in a different way and put it on the other person. It is it is abject desperation. But I'm saying for a guy who's, who's you know, plenty of people in his family who oppose provocatively, should he be calling a bimbo what? another woman who does that? Why isn't it fine for a woman to pose provocatively? I mean, I don't... Well, this whole thing has been really frustrating because Donald Trump would never have done this to a man. Um, uh, we've talked about this, and uh, I have to say I agree. Because he would look weak. Yeah. He would look weak if he did this to a man. Now, why is it any different what, what, when he's doing it to Megyn Kelly? Let's put it in the entire perspective. If a man was to have asked him the exact same question in the August debate right. about his treatment of women, mm -hmm. Donald Trump, if it was a man who did that, Donald Trump wouldn't say, well, they're treating me unfairly and I'm not going to show up. He would say... It know, wouldn't even be a... I don't think it, it would yeah, be, it, be a question. It wouldn't even be an issue. Right. But it's be, he's... It's how dare this woman question his yeah, authority that is exactly what it is i'm not gonna let this woman get the best of me and i'm going to tweet out these insults calling her a bimbo talking about her period right and hitting her where i believe for some odd reason uh that a woman would be sensitive as if we can't handle people talking about our period <laughs> biology we have them biology is a real scary thing yeah oh, <laughs> oh my god don't talk about our period that is a normal thing that occurs please uh. don't God damn. And same thing with the shaming of her posing. Everyone knows that Megyn Kelly's beautiful and they want to talk about how she's beautiful until. Until she shows her brain. Until she shows her brain yeah. and then you get pissed off and now you want to criticize her for being attractive. Right. Now that's something now, that you mark against her. That's exactly right. Now it's something that she should consider a deficit. Right. Or a, a detriment to her her entire makeup and it's it's just bullshit right it's the same criticism that i have with those with those memes with all the blonde women who work at fox and totalizing right. those women's identities because they have blonde hair right. so they must be dumb because they work at fox they're blonde no just shut up well it's just it's it's illogical it's evoking emotional emotionality emotional arguments rather than real logic because some of those women on that meme the one that has like 16 or 24 or whatever 
Some of them are rock fucking solid. Super smart. Some, yeah, they're, you know, I don't I don't have a lot of respect for them. Well, it's just like anybody else. If That's you ha- right. if you had, you know, 20 or 30 brunette journalists, you would have the same opinion. That's Hair exactly color doesn't right. matter. That's exactly right. But with with Trump though, I want to say one more thing. He's like that person that you argue with on the internet that is he's like a troll he really is the essence of the internet troll it really is that where he doesn't have to be logical and for some reason he still has a following he still has people commenting and supporting him liking his comments those kind of things yeah you know the people who praise trolls and like encourage them on internet threads that's what his followers are because it doesn't matter if he well they're trolls junior Right. It doesn't matter if he's the most illogical person on the planet, which that's what this whole situation is, talking about Megyn Kelly being a bimbo for how she posed when he has a wife who does the same. Tremendously illogical. And (laughs) it it is the most frustrating thing in the world to have this person leading in the polls. For sure. Well, as Brittany mentioned at the top of the show, today for you is Monday. This is it. The Iowa caucus. The, the, The time has come. For the Republicans and the Democrats to make their decision in the state of Iowa as to who is going to represent them in the general election. Would you like to know who 538 is projecting to win? In each in for each party? Yes. I, I would say Hillary Clinton, I would say, that they're gonna project. And Ted Cruz. So they're projecting Hillary Clinton to win they say that she has a 79 percent chance oh, of winning i do not think it's that high the iowa caucuses wow that's there's a lot of things at play here and i think that and this is the first time i will have said this on the show i think nate silver might be overplaying his past record of of nailing it and he is listen he's a genius he makes me look like a, a, a an insect relative to intellect and analyzing politics and analyzing statistics for sure however he is the the chinks in his armor have been uh shown illuminated if you will because he's been wrong about trump this entire time as have i but he has been wrong at every turn about trump's chances and success since he entered the race he has been and he has been forced to come around and so they are projecting that Donald Trump will win the Iowa caucuses. Wow. They say that Donald Trump has a 48% chance of winning. Well, so not so great, though. And not... Cruz, 40% chance of winning. Wow. Cruz. Mm-hmm. So it's between Donald Trump and Cruz. And I believe it'll probably be Cruz. However, I think there will be some surprises. Some people will do better. And listen, I'm not even saying that that, that uh, Hillary Clinton won't win. I think it is. She might win. But I think Bernie Sanders, it's going to be a lot closer than, than people think. They're projecting that O'Malley has a 50% chance of winning. I'm kidding. Um, less than well, one. Before we go on, though, let's explain kind of the... Because tomorrow's not the same for either party. There are vast differences about how the Iowa caucus takes place for Republicans and Democrats. On the Republican side, an Iowa caucus is pretty straightforward. People turn up, listen to speeches, vote and then go home. The votes are then tallied across the state and a winner is declared. On the Democratic side, it takes a lot longer, up to two hours. Here's why. First of all, the number of people in the room are counted. This is important because after the first round of voting, 
Any candidate who doesn't get 15% of the vote in the room is eliminated. But after that, those who voted for losing candidates get another chance. And the supporters of the remaining candidates try and persuade them to join their side. This stage is called realignment, and it can get quite heated. At the end of all this, the votes are counted and the results are collated across the state. In all 1,681 locations, the caucus across Iowa. So here's the deal that could be the deciding factor for both Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Because of that 15%, that number, Martin O'Malley is only pulling 3 to 5% right now. And his supporters are going to show up. And his supporters are probably very passionate because you really have to be to stick with a guy when you know you He's are not winning. Yeah, you're you're fucking done. Mm-hmm. There's no chance of winning, and they're still gonna stay on the team. So what's gonna be the deciding factor here is where those voters go when it's oh, you're not to fifteen percent. All right, you gotta get out of here or choose another candidate. Who they choose is going to matter a great deal because in the polling, not 538's 79% thing, but in the, in the, in the Iowa, the, the, the Des Moines Register, the, the very well-respected poll, has Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders in a statistical dead heat. It's within the margin of error, the difference between them. So if those 5% of Martin O'Malley voters choose Bernie Sanders, if their polling data is right, and that's something we're going to get to, it could be real bad for Hillary Clinton and obviously very good for Bernie Sanders. So another thing that I don't think they said in the video is that participating in a caucus is harder than voting in a primary election. So unlike primaries, caucus voters can only cast their ballots in the evening at a designated time. That's right. And they did talk about how the process is much longer, but I thought it was unusual that it's only in the evening and a specific time. So you basically have an appointment that you need to show up for. Yeah, yeah. It's not just whenever you have free time, come on in. It's right. This is your scheduled time to come in. And it could take a while. I mean, I think they give them up to two to three hours or something like that. But when you you put into in, into play factors like the weather, which is going to be well, there's it's going to be a fucking fiasco today to tomorrow. It, I think the audience knows what the recording schedule is. So you know, we're sitting here Sunday night tomorrow on Monday when you guys are listening to this, it could be. The snowpocalypse, it could be a big deal. I mean, they're going to be dumping in some places 12 to 15 inches of snow. And if you're older, more mainstream Democratic electorate, you know, those Hillary Clinton people, those 65 to 70 year old, whatever, if they don't show up and it's left to the young people who are able bodied to get out and drive, it could be a deciding factor for the Bernie camp. So a longtime pollster was quoted in this Politico article about the problems with Iowa polls. And she said, you may be someone who is for John Kasich and you get approached by 15 Jeb Bush people at the caucus site. All a poll can do is estimate what people intend to do. But it's a process designed for people to change their minds in the room. That's exactly right. It seems like a very hostile environment. 
So you walk in with your John Kasich button, and then these Jeb Bush people rush you, and they're right. like, "Listen, Kasich, well, no." He, but the deal is, is as a Republican, you just write your choice down. It's not like you have a list. It's not like a ballot. You just write it down, and then that's it. Mm-hmm. They don't have to do the thing where. I mean, you do. It's who are you for? Who are you for? We're going to talk about it. Then we're going to write down our choice. That's how it is for the Republicans. For the Democrats, <laughs> it really is a. Why don't you come over to our side? Oh, you don't have 15%. Now we're going to try to convince you. You have both sides pulling you over to the other side. It's It really is democracy in action. It's mm-hmm. I'm not a giant fan of the caucus system, although I think I would do real well. <laughs> yes, you would. Um, we'll see. We'll wait and see. The other part of this that we really haven't, I mean, we've talked a little bit about, is the polling and how reliable, and we're going to find out tomorrow, or today, as it were, we're going to find out just how reliable or unreliable the polling was. When pollsters call voters about their intentions before an election, those voters lie. <laughs> right. Or more charitably overestimate their own plans to vote. So pollsters are faced with the challenge of weeding out those who won't actually show up on caucus night. It's a decision they often make before making a single phone call. Some pollsters choose to dial phone numbers in the state at random so that every Iowan has an equal chance of being contacted. But other pollsters argue that the sampling frame is too broad. They restrict their surveys to those with a history of past turnout in caucuses, primaries, and general elections. So this is a problem. Well, might may, may it may not be a problem. This might they might be spot on, but this does lead to they're calling landlines. This is the other thing. They're they're not calling cell phones. So they're 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 contacting older voters. How many young people? I don't have a landline. No. For you, the, the, our loyal audience, if you try to contact me. You're, you're not going to get a hold of me because I don't have a landline. That's just the way it is. So mm-hmm. you're, you're only going to get a younger generation. It's like, oh, how many people um, keep the phone book when it's given to them? <laughs> Why? No one needs a phone book anymore. No one needs a phone book. Nobody. Uh, only short people who want to drive in big trucks. Yes, exactly. That's the <laughs> only purpose. To, you need them to sit on. <laughs> That's it. So there's going to be some problems. We're going to find out. By the time you listen to this, maybe we will have found out. We would love for you to talk to us. 657-464-7609. Let us know. Email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. That would be awesome. So one thing we haven't talked about is the Trump anchor baby situation. Oh, that's right. And I, you. yeah, I you. just, I, we can't let this go by because, um, I said it first and I'm very frustrated with Donald Trump for not giving me the props that I deserve when he called Ted Cruz an anchor baby. See, I did that first. And even though I did it in a funny kind of ironic way and you, Donald Trump's being serious, you did it in episode 187. In fact, here it is. So basically, Ted Cruz is an anchor baby. (laughs) Yep. That's it. That's it. You called it in episode 187. And here we go. Donald Trump stealing your thunder. Now, Ted Cruz may not be a U.S. citizen, right? But he's an anchor baby. No, he's an anchor baby 
Ted Cruz is an anchor baby in Canada. But Canada doesn't accept anchor babies. They just waited a long time. Okay. But, but look, look, it is a problem for him, by the way. I think that's one of the reasons his, he's crashing. I think that's one of the reasons he's a nervous wreck, too. He's thinking, what the hell happened? Remember when I first brought that up? Everybody said, oh, that doesn't mean anything. That was about a week ago. Now they're saying, I think his career is over, right? No, he can continue to be a U.S. senator. How about this? He's a citizen of Canada, and he was a senator from Texas, and he's a citizen of Canada, joint with the U.S. How the hell does that work? But he said he didn't know he was a citizen of Canada, and he didn't know about Goldman Sachs loaning him money, and he didn't know about Citibank loaning him money. Other than that, he's got a very good memory, okay? So Donald Trump jumping on the Britney P. bandwagon and uh, stealing your thunder. Well, see, I knew this was coming. Absolutely you did. And I'm just glad that the behavior of Republicans is so predictable Yeah. that I can predict it how many weeks in advance? <laughs> I think it's very funny that uh, this is an episode where we've played clips from previous episodes twice. We've never done that before. And here we are playing clips from previous episodes in the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's Matrix type of shit. Yes. <laughs> Going down the rabbit hole. All right. Well, we are going to leave you. We're still kind of in Dolomocracy, but we're going to wrap it up with this. Tucker Carlson, the bow tie clad young man. He's probably my age, maybe a little older, but... He looks very young. He's probably 50 years old, actually. He's probably not my age at all. But he does look... He has a boyish good looks. This bow tie wearing weirdo... 46. 46. He is older. He he had a run-in, a dust-up, if you will, with Donald Trump when he worked for CNN. He described Donald's hair in some way that wasn't pleasing to Donald Trump and ended up getting a call, a voicemail from him, which wasn't exactly nice, but as we've come more accustomed to know Donald Trump, was pretty right in line with who Donald Trump is. He said, quote, It's true you have better hair than I do, but I get more pussy than you do. Click. Uh, click, and then hung up? Yes. Goddamn. And Tucker Carlson said he said it matter-of-factly. Just, this is the way it is. Yes. And that is presidential, everybody. <laughs> Real cool. God damn. Is he going to leave those kind of voicemails for like Putin? Oh, yeah. Putin. <laughs> Although it might not be true in Putin's case. <laughs> I don't think so. No, no. <laughs> and, and Trump might have better hair than Putin. Although even being bald, I think, is better than what he's got going on. Not good. It, no. It's kind of weird. It's really upsetting, actually. <laughs> All right. It upsets me. With that little nugget... That juicy little nugget. We're going to leave you, everybody. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in twice a week or as often as you do. We appreciate you joining with us to move the conversation forward. If you would like to support the show other than listening twice a week, you can go to dollamore.com and on the left-hand side of the page, there is a support the show link at which you can find multiple ways to support the show, whether it be Amazon or Patreon or PayPal. There are so many, and we appreciate every single one. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Turns to me with an angry, bitter face. 
And she says, did you just fart? (laughs) 